everyone. Welcome back to Just a Bite. Today, I speak to our executive director, Lisa Hamler-Fugit, and the CEO of Second Harvest Food Bank of North Central Ohio, and our board chair, Julie Chase Moorfield. We talk about the state of Ohio's food banks, what we're seeing on the ground right now, and what we hope to see over the coming year. It's an interesting one, so I hope you'll enjoy. Hi, Julie. Hi, Lisa. Thank you both for being on the podcast today. Um, Why don't we start out with introductions? So, Julie, if you wanted to get started. Sure. My name is Julie Chase Moorfield. I'm the president and CEO with the Second Harvest Food Bank of North Central Ohio in Lorraine. Perfect. And Lisa? Lisa Hamler-Fugit. I serve as the executive director of the Ohio Association of Food Banks, Ohio's largest charitable response to hunger. Awesome. Great. So we have two food bank leaders within our network um, on the line today. Um, And we're really just going to be talking about you know, the state of our network um, and what we're seeing right now. So, Julie, I was wondering if you could start us off by kind of giving us a brief overview of what you're seeing at your food bank and uh, your partner agencies right now. You know, things like how many households that you are seeing at your, your distributions and how your food bank is faring against rising costs and supply chain shortages. Sure. Uh, I think the word right now is probably unpredictability. We continue to see large fluctuations in in need within our communities that we serve. So we serve Lorraine, Erie, Huron, and Crawford counties. And we will have a mobile distribution where we'll serve 500 families. Um, And then we'll have another one where we expect 600 and we serve 400. You know, last week we had a distribution on a Thursday and ran out of food before the end of the distribution. Um, it's very difficult to predict what the need is at the moment. And we also are seeing so many challenges within supply chain. So trying to bring the food in to our facility, um, you know, purchasing so much more food than we ever had before. I mean, we're purchasing three times as much food as we did pre-pandemic and it's really unsustainable. I mean, as an organization, you know, that's just a huge amount of, of money that we're spending, but we don't see any other choice at the moment. Um, retail food donations have dropped off pretty dramatically. And I think everybody's seeing those holes at the grocery store, um, not only for perishable products, but, but for all products. Um, and that's the same thing that's affecting, you know, not only our food bank, but food banks across the state and across the country in that there are shortages of, you know, people to can the products or to buy, box the products at facilities, um, but also not enough truck drivers to drive the food, you know, not enough, you know, not enough of everything, paper shortages, aluminum can shortages. I mean, all of those things um, are affecting everybody and driving up food costs. Um, so at a time when we, need as much food as possible to feed as many families as possible. It's harder now to get it than it has been in, I I don't know that I've ever seen challenges like this in supply. Um, And I've been in food banking for over 20 years. Yeah. And a lot of the um, supports that we have had are expiring or running out. Um, It seems like what you're experiencing is very consistent across the board with what the other Ohio food banks are, are seeing as well as 
you know, food banks across the nation. Uh, Lisa, could you give us some context as to what is happening around the state? Um, give us a few examples of how we and the food banks are feeling the squeeze. Yeah, I think Julie, you know, really hit the nail on the head. You know, after 20 years in the, the food bank world, I think the unpredictability of the pandemic and, and the two years of, of closure and the challenges that I think many of us thought, quite frankly, that we would start to see a return to normal. And I, I could say that that there is nothing normal. I, I guess I fear that this may be the new normal that as we enter um, the third year of the pandemic, uh, supply chain issues tend to uh, be uh, more unstable and unreliable. Uh, we understand the surge in demand going into the pandemic where a lot of the foods that were uh, manufactured, processed and packaged were going into restaurant uh, or uh, consumer non-consumer um, household size. And now what we're seeing is just shortages, as Julie said, across the board. Uh, some of that certainly is being driven by supply chain. We're having some significant issues around consolidation, certainly on the meat processing. Uh, we are dealing with climate change, uh, global demands. Uh, right now, we're, we have just experienced the largest uh, one-week one price increase ever in our history of eggs. So as an example, eggs are one of the most affordable uh, sources of protein that we have in the network. And one of our longtime suppliers notified us last week on a three-day notice that egg prices had increased by 50 cents a dozen. Um, and again, trying to get... Um, high quality, low cost proteins and fresh fruits and vegetables onto the dinner plates of, of low income Ohioans is becoming increasingly more challenged. Also inflation, Julie said that um, there are large fluctuations in demand, certainly for low wage workers. We are starting to hear again, while they may be on the schedule for 40 hours, if sales uh, or business is not there, then they are being sent home. So again, you budget on a 40 hour paycheck, but if you're only getting 20 hours, then you're uh, gonna be making trade-offs between do I have money to pay my rent or do I have money to go to the grocery store? And again, that market basket, we're all experiencing that, that same market basket of goods that we purchased a month ago have gone up substantially. And some of those items may not even be available because of supply chain shortages. So we are again, starting to see uh, more people especially the low-income working poor, again, who uh, may not be getting the hours that they thought. But the ones that I'm really concerned about are seniors and persons with disability that are out of the labor market and are trying to live on very low fixed incomes. And they are being forced to make difficult decisions about do I put what limited income that I have uh, in, in my gas tank to be able to get to my doctor's appointments or other commitments? Do I pay my rent or my mortgage? Do I purchase my medications or pay my, my utilities? And unfortunately, 
the most fungible portion in anybody's budget is what they have to spend on food and that's getting cut. So uh, again, people are turning to us, especially in this population of seniors who again are the canaries in the coal mine um, and um, the loss of federal fiscal relief and recovery that you spoke a little bit about that appears to really be hitting families with children. They lost that really valuable uh, child tax credit at the end of last year, and they have now had three months without that additional income, which for some, for some families, that, that was a lot of money. $700 that you had in your budget last year that aren't, you know, $700 that's not there on a monthly basis this year with the rapidly rising cost of everything going up that again, they're being forced to make difficult decisions. And I also wanna say these families don't first turn to a local food bank or food pantry to get food. They're using multiple different coping strategies before they show up on our door. So again, another sign of the times that, that families are really, and, and Ohioans are really struggling uh, because of, of a confluence of issues. Yeah, um, and I, know that we have mostly touched on sort of the storm that Ohio food banks and our clients are weathering right now, but I also wanted to really acknowledge how resilient our network is. Our network has been there since the very beginning of the pandemic and beforehand um, and has really um, tried their best to make sure that they're serving their communities. Our food banks, partner agencies, and their staff have been on the front lines for two years, and our network has served 242 million meals to 3.8 million households in fiscal year 2021. Um, it's really incredible to know that food banks have not stopped serving their communities, um, even when they were truly wor worried what would happen next. So could you provide some examples or some highlights or successes you have seen over the past year or so, Lisa, um, and what has made you proud to lead? Um, I think that, that the coming together, um, the staff who, again, were on the front lines, especially in those early days of, of not really understanding the complexity or, or how highly contagious COVID uh, was that, um, that they really doubled down and just continued to serve our hungry friends and neighbors. Uh, the support of the Ohio National Guard, um, which were tremendous reinforcements and boots on the ground that really came in, as I said, and saved the day. The charitable nature of um, philanthropy, individuals and corporations and foundations that really came forward in a response uh, that helped significantly um, our support and the additional support that we did receive from the state of Ohio um, to help us to acquire uh, the additional food, um, the supports that we received through USDA, but, but really the commitment from the frontline staff and workers uh, who were in there pulling more orders than they ever pulled before to standing up direct distributions across the state in really challenging situations. And I say that, you know, what in those early days of the 
pandemic and, and throughout the height of the pandemic, oftentimes we turn on our television sets and see long lines queuing of people that were desperate for food. And, and while that was happening in Ohio, uh, we were able to respond much more quickly and efficiently and effectively than other states. And I think that speaks to the tremendous commitment of not only our staff, our boards, our volunteers, and the National Guard. So uh, those are some of the things that I'm proudest of. Uh, I will tell you that we are, in many cases, uh, weary warriors. Um, the demand, again, has not diminished and there are new sets of challenges that are now presenting to us. And we do worry, I will tell you, I, I worry the most about whether the philanthropy will, will begin to wane and does uh, government really understand at both the federal, the state, and the local level, the tremendous need that we now face among the challenges that Julie laid out, which are the supply chain challenges, the need more, for more healthy food, the increasing cost that we're experiencing um, to, to be able to purchase and keep food on the shelves. And again, if we're experiencing, in some cases, 20, 25, 30% increases, it means we have to raise that much more money. So we're going to need the community to come together at a time to help us continue to get through these challenging, inflationary-driven times until supply chains uh, start to work themselves out and we can get some additional federal fiscal relief into the pockets and of uh low-income Ohioans, as well as additional commodities into our system. Yeah, and, and Julie, what about you, both as CEO of a food bank, but also our board chair? You know, so much is known right now about the pandemic um, in terms of the ability, uh, our safety, what we needed to do. But at the time that it started with my team, there was nothing known. Um, and yet, they all went forward you know, knowing that this was so critical to the community, knowing there was a need, seeing the lines, looking into the faces of, you know, wait staff who had been let, you know, turned away from their job, um, you know, not knowing where the food was going to come from, not knowing how to feed their families, you know, that, that continued push to serve people to make sure that we were meeting the needs of our, of our community members. And so looking back, it doesn't seem, you know, maybe it doesn't seem as extraordinary as it was, um, but there was never a moment where they wavered. And even, you know, now more than two years later, they continue to talk about, um, you know, when I asked my team, they are so committed to the mission of, you know, our organization and being able to serve people that that's never wavered. Um, they're tired. Um, and this continued fluctuations and need and unpredictability continues to weigh on all of them, but they understand, you know, the deep need within the community and that that's their role to serve. So I'm so proud of them for continuing on. Um, and we've added a lot of new people and there's a lot of new faces at food banks um, that weren't there before because we continue to try to meet needs and meet demands in different ways. You know, the pandemic taught us a lot about how to deliver services. And so moving into this mobile direct food distribution model, something we were doing before, but not 
um, not in a drive-through model, not in the method that we were doing it. And so to be able to move to this drive-through model and see that we've reached people in a different way, people that were afraid to come to food pantries, people that, you know, couldn't stand in the line, um, you know, have small children, you know, just, it's just not feasible for them, but also because of the fear and the stigma associated with standing in line at a food pantry, like this freed them up to be able to come and to ask for help. And we see this, you know, not only is the need higher, we know the needs higher with seniors, but we specifically see this with seniors, uh, you know, more than 20, we have 21%, you know, as of the, you know, with this year to date, um, you know, 21% of who we serve are seniors over the age of 60. And part of that is because they feel very comfortable coming to a drive-through distribution because that's a space that, you know, they don't worry about getting sick. They don't worry about, um, you know, having to lift something or carry boxes a long distance, you know, it can be put into their car, you know, or someone can go by proxy and pick up food for them. Um, so, you know, so we're reaching people that we weren't reaching before, and this is helping to inform our work going forward. Uh, we have a couple of different projects that we're working on. You know, one is Food Forward Lorraine and the other is a community hub project in Sandusky. You know, thinking about how do we deliver services differently? How do we look at that intersection between health and hunger? How do we, you know, think through, you know, making sure that if you are a senior and you are, you, you can't leave your home due to mobility or transportation issues, how do we, how do we meet you where you are? And I think that, you know, there's always those silver linings to, um, you know, terrible situations. And I think that's one for us is that it helped us see things in a different way. And that I think is going to help us moving forward, um, address hunger in a much different way than we have been before this. Yeah, definitely. Um, we have all been very flexible um, during these times. So I wanted to sort of shift to, you know, how can we alleviate some of these issues that we're facing, um, both on the state and federal level, although it is incredible that our food banks really haven't skipped a beat um, during the pandemic, I think it's very clear that we should support these frontline organizations so that they can continue this work and adapt uh, for the future, kind of like Julie had mentioned. Um, the good thing is that we are approaching quite a few different opportunities to address the needs of our food banks, but also the Ohioans we serve. So could you two go into some detail about some of these opportunities that we're seeing both at the state and federal level? Well, you know, I want to say that the, the federal response has been um, has been well-timed and we still have a lot of opportunities, certainly at the state level with um, the American Rescue Plan Act dollars. Um, Ohio is still sitting on about $650 million from the first appropriation and we're due um, even more, um, over 5 billion that will be coming down uh, later this spring. And those dollars were made available to states to ensure that the challenges that their citizens face um, in achieving a full recovery, that they are able to be aided by these support dollars and directly in the area of health and economic recovery from the pandemic. And uh, we are certainly urging the governor and members of the Ohio General Assembly 
um, to take these dollars and invest them into helping us to maintain and build out the resilient basic needs infrastructure that's been provided and is provided every day through the food banks and the emergency food assistance network. This is a once in a lifetime opportunity to make investments with the American Rescue Act plan dollars to ensure that we are well equipped and uh, prepared to ensure that we have uh, food in the warehouse, that we're able to compete in the market to get that healthy, wholesome food, that we can uh, accommodate more demand that's being placed on food banks to um, do more in the way of prepared meals. So it's gonna mean that we're gonna need to build out um, new facilities or renovate ex existing facilities in commercial kitchens. We need to make sure that we have state-of-the-art equipment in our warehouses to be able to acquire, procure, and safely store. We need to improve the transportation. I'll give you one example there. Food banks run semi-tractor trailers. Uh, Semi-tractor trailer drivers are, are an in-demand occupation right now. So being able to compete in the commercial market for uh, drivers that have CDLs is really challenging. One of the things that we need to do is replace our fleet of semis to box trucks that don't require a CDL. That's extremely expensive to be able to convert over to those um, trucks. So it's the purchasing of that. We need to establish new community hubs uh, to make sure that we're in the communities that have lost their local food pantry that may not be returning because the congregation uh, that once supported them have closed their doors. We need to procure more personal care, personal hygiene and household cleaning item. And we need to redouble our efforts at outreach, both in the SNAP outreach world, but also in healthcare. We know that COVID has taught us that there is a direct link between uh, hunger and health, and we need to have robust outreach. We also need to continue to do more on our workforce development, whether it be re-entry or, uh, or helping to provide no-cost training for in-demand jobs through our network. So there is a lot that can be done. Uh, we have a modest and a humble request that we're making of the General Assembly, but also we need the United States Department of Agriculture to increase funding for the Emergency Food Assistance Program, our commodities program, to make sure that food banks have the federal commodities that are so desperately needed that are part of the supply chain. Again, we're gonna need more money to be able to purchase more food to replace the donations that we've had in the system. And we also need the, the US Senate to pass the Build Back Better uh, legislation that was passed by the House to reinstate those advanced child tax credits as well. So there's a lot that can be done at every level of government, but it does and will take a government response to help us solve the long-term issues and the challenges that we face of poverty. And the Farm Bill is, is, is critical to the work that we do. We've seen a 46% drop in federal food commodities um, since July, which is hitting us hard at a time when you know we have we were being forced to purchase more food, seeing less retail donations. Um, so that is a, a huge challenge for us. Um, and even in areas where you used to see 
of the federal government purchasing additional product through um, what they term as bonus product, uh, that's dropped off dramatically as well. Um, so those items, when there was just an overabundance, the market was flooded, they would purchase those items. Well, that's not existing right now. Um, and so that was, you know, as it's termed bonus, but but also a critical source of food and a lot of things like um, protein, um, fruits, vegetables, center of the plate items are, are, are missing. The other area that, that we are very concerned about, um, and I spoke with a local uh, school superintendent last week, is the, the Ohio Department, uh, the Department of Education's waiver on the school lunch, school and breakfast lunch program. And seeing that, you know, when that waiver ends at the end of June, that's forcing summer food service program sites to not be able to provide meals to children that they can take home. They have to eat those meals at the site. Um, and so what we'll see is a dramatic drop in the number of, of children who are accessing food through summer food service programs. But then come fall, um, a lot of children are not going to be on the, the, the lunch program. Um, you know, parents are going to be confused. They're not going to know how to sign their child back up again. Um, and, and, you know, may miss the application, may not get the kids signed up. And so that's going to become a huge burden on parents, an additional burden, in addition to, you know, the loss of the child tax credit and, you know, the SNAP eligibility on um, the additional benefits that are going to, that are going to go away soon, um, you know, come the fall as they're trying to, you know, buy clothing and shoes and all of the things that kids need to get back to school, then they're going to be hit with, you know, hundreds of dollars in school lunch fees um, that I think is going to really, it's going to come at probably one of the worst times because, you know, this supply chain issue is not going to resolve quickly. You know, the challenges that we're seeing are not going to resolve quickly. You know, gas prices aren't coming down. And so, you know, going into, into the school year in a situation like that is going to create a lot of, a lot of burdens, you know, on those parents and those children. Yeah, I just want to add to what Julie said that, you know, it, it just seems like the a myriad of challenges that are on the horizon for us as she talked about the public health emergency unwind, the impact is just so far reaching, whether it's uh, school-based nutrition programs, our summer meals program, uh, the major boost to the SNAP benefits um with everyone receiving the maximum benefit and then the change from um the thrifty food plan index so there are all of these things that have really helped provide that safety net are going to start to unwind and on top of that at the same time there are going to be over three million ohioans who are going to have to be redetermined both for their Medicaid and over 1.5 million for their SNAP benefits and in a very short period of time. So the, the challenges of, fate, of folks that are going to be facing this benefit cliff and just the, the uh, operational issues of putting people through a, a redetermination process is, is going to be confusing. It's going to be challenging. But the bottom line is, if eligible people don't receive the benefits that they need in order to keep food on the table or buy their life-sustaining medication, or children don't have school meals that they need to be able to concentrate, that the long-term impacts of what it will cost us as a society are going to be huge. 
Uh, they're going to affect not only our food security, but our economic security as well. So we need to make sure that all of our citizens are able to recover from the pandemic. I keep saying that, you know, it, it had taken uh, low income people 10 years to claw back from the Great Recession. Um, and that incomes had just started to level off. So we should expect that we are going to be years into this recovery and recovery doesn't come without investments. Yeah, I, I yeah, when we um, <laughs> first planned for this episode in January, I was um, hoping that we would provide more good news, <laughs> to be honest. But, um, you know, we're in that state of the pandemic where um, a lot of things are happening at once and um, flexibilities are set to end um, and we are really just feeling the squeeze. So I think this is a valuable conversation nonetheless. Um, however, I think we could still be just a little bit hopeful. <laughs> um, and I was wondering for our last question, if you could tell the listeners what you hope to see or anticipate happening over the course of the year for our food banks and our clients. We hope to sort of reflect back on your answers, maybe next year at in the end of March or April. Um, so Julie, why don't you start? You know, what makes me hopeful is some of the work that has happened within our community members. So, or I should say community partners, we have seen such a tremendous willingness to work together. Um, we've seen it across all of our counties, um, you know, people coming together in new ways, to help people in their community, um, a real interest, a real sincere interest in identifying ways to address food insecurity and identifying ways to, you know, especially the medical community to, to be coming in and to help helping to think about, you know, how we can work together to make sure that people's food, need, food needs are met. And enthusiasm around the work. Um, we've been doing a lot of meetings around, um, I mentioned our community hub project. We're working within the city of Sandusky um, to try to think about how we address people's needs differently. So working with the food pantry so that when somebody comes in for services that we can identify, are there other needs and how do we connect them with existing resources in the community? So not duplicating resources, but making connections for people and trying to think through how do you walk along with someone and help them reach you know, our intended goal, which is long-term food security and stability within their family. And so there is so much interest and so much enthusiasm and in synergy around that work that it's, it's exciting to see. And I don't know that we would have seen that three years ago. Um, there is real recognition that there are deep-seated needs within communities and community leaders need to come together and figure out how to address those and figure out what community members need. So not assuming that we know what the needs are, but really thinking through, you know, where someone's circumstance is and creating resources that are done with input um, from community members, which I think it's sometimes that that's lacking in certain, in certain circumstances. But I mean, that's, that's where I think the hope comes in is that um, we're able to work together and, and, and sort of set those egos aside um, in a way that I never saw before the pandemic. I want to echo what Julie said. I mean, I, I think that there is certainly 
a, a renewed awareness about how quickly someone can face hunger and food insecurity um, and a, a recognition um, that there go, by the grace of God, go I, it can happen to any of us. Um, for individuals who have the resources, I, I know with the, the uh, inflationary cost and the challenges that, that people are acutely aware of the rapidly rising cost of food and other basic needs that we all need to engender an active, healthy life. And I think that for those who may have taken for granted that we would always have access to an abundance of food, now have a new recognition of just how, how thin that line is and uh, wanna be a part of the solution. Um, people come together in our darkest hour I see folks coming together, as Julie said, and wanting to be a part of the solution. So that really is about community resiliency. And we need to make sure that the leadership that our community members and our partners um, are showing uh, are also supported through the resources that we have. Now's the time to invest. Uh, we need the political will to make sure that that happens, that no Ohioan goes hungry. Great. I think this is a good time to do a donations pitch. So if you would like to donate to your local food bank, you can visit our website at ohiofoodbanks.org. Thank you both for being here today and speaking on the state of Ohio's food banks. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Lisa and Julie. I think we really captured sort of what we're facing right now as food banks to make sure that our communities are well fed and their needs are being addressed. As always, I wanted to leave you all with a quote. This is coming from Lisa as well as one of our other food bank directors, Dan Flower, and they say in the Akron Beacon Journal, Quote, we have been a nation that has accepted high rates of poverty, food insecurity, and in income inequality as the norm for decades. This is no longer acceptable, and we cannot continue in this direction. End quote. If you would like to donate, volunteer, or if you need help, you can go to the link in our show notes. Thanks, and we'll talk to you soon.